It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting our podcast experience. In this installment, we're going to hear from Brie Clouser. She is a New York-based actress, voice actress, as well as a singer and songwriter. She also, like me, happens to be low vision or visually impaired. So I'm real interested to talk to her and how she does what she does and a couple of projects that she's worked on, Apple TV original series called C, as well as a Audible original series called Freaks. And she's also produced some music with her band. And if you're interested in knowing more about those, there'll be links to those on the website at ambiguouslyblind.com. So Brie Clouser, thanks a bunch for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. You're a fellow low vision person, the the spectrum of low vision, which is vast at some points. Can you kind of describe your vision so we understand what, what Brie Clouser sees when she looks? <laughs> yeah, I, and I love that you, you said it was a low vision spectrum because that is the way I describe it. Yeah, it is. Long and wide. Yes. So on that spectrum, I am considered legally blind, but I often will sometimes get some weird looks when I when I tell people that because I don't have a lot of the stereotypical identifiers. I don't use a white cane and I don't have a service animal. I do sometimes have a CNI boyfriend with me, but <laughs> but, but um mostly I as far as mobility orientation mobility, I can get around on my own. I cannot drive a car for the safety of myself and those around me. Um, the I can relate to that too, yeah. The condition I've had uh, since birth is a genetic condition called achromatopsia. So I have no cone cells in my eyes, or rather I don't have two out of the three cone cells you need. Recently, my my um, optometrist told me that that basically what I use is mostly my night vision, or, or what would be other people's night vision. So I have kind of a full range of vision in that there are no there are no blind spots although I do do not see stereoscopically most of the time uh, my boyfriend likes to say that I sometimes look at things like a parakeet one eye at a time mm-hmm. the main thing with achromatopsia is that um I am photophobic and completely colorblind and I I do have a poor visual acuity uh I think even with correction I'm about 22 uh 2250 that's with correction i wear okay. corrective contact lenses uh they're a magenta tinted lenses um which as someone with brown eyes i'm very lucky because it, it just makes them kind of look like a lovely cranberry stepford wife color uh <laughs> but um it's it's very hard to to really articulate exactly what i can and can't see because it is purely experiential usually uh i mean the visual acuity thing describes itself what a normal person a normal sighted person sees from about 200 feet away uh that's my 20 feet away mark so as as we know the whole 22 20 the whole 2020 thing works and as we know the 2200 mark is the legally blind so i'm with correction i'm just over the legally blind mark um I also have a visible nystagmus, which is an involuntary shaking of the pupils. And along with that, you know, 
the stigmatism, poor depth perception. But I guess the 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 most accurate depiction I can say without low vision aids, when I go out in a either outside during the sunlight or in a bright room, it um my vision becomes like an overexposed photograph where the 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 brights become very bright and uh and the shadow and the shadows are defined when i wear corrective lenses i am able to see everything clearly just there's no actual color it's everything is high contrast and again it's all dependent on how close it is to me in, in my visual field so the further away the less clear things are um, that is as close as I can get to describing what I see. Um, it's very hard to explain because I have always had the same amount of vision, pretty much. I mean, I think my vision has gotten a little worse just because of the natural aging process <laughs> with all of us. Yeah, that happens. But um, yeah, I'm getting a little bit of the yo-yo thing now. It's I can't hold things as close to my face anymore. But um. Uh, so it's, I don't really have a point of reference when people say, oh, what can you see and what you can you not see? Because I, uh, I've only pretty much, I've only known one one way. But as far as low vision aids, I, I, I'm not a Braille user and I, I've just started using a little bit of voiceover. I think the new, newest, um, I'm an Apple person, an iOS person. They have an option where you can do a speech uh, speech to text like a voiceover thing without turning the whole voiceover thing on. Have, are you familiar with this? Where you just have it optional? Yes. Yeah. I I once in a while started using that, uh, but mostly I just use like Zoom and and large print, which I find a whole lot easier to do on Mac and iOS than Windows. No offense, Windows, but you know, step up your game. <laughs> um, but uh, that is pretty much how I navigate the the technological world and as far as getting around i <laughs> i don't know i'm a little reckless um when i i did do orientation mobility and they could have issued me a cane but i think they just said i was a little bit too stubborn but i did eventually learn how to use a cane and i have a white cane that i use as an identifier when i go traveling on my own so if i were to go to an airport and you know, an airport i don't know and i can't read any of the overhead signs i i need people to believe me when i say i'm blind so i whip out the cane so that's as far as it goes with that yeah so i think maybe the word that you might use would be ambiguous like your vision is very ambiguous roll credits <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. I was so attracted to your your podcast. The ambigu I'm like, yeah, I am kind of ambiguously blind. Yeah, there's a t-shirt too. I'll have to see if we can get you one of those. But yeah. you know, for me, that's why I'm doing this is because there's a lot of things that you just said that I can directly identify with. And um, there's so many occasions where it's really not clear to the person or whomever I'm interacting with that, that I can't see. And sometimes it leads for um, awkward, you know, situations, or sometimes just not not really sure what's going on, kind of things. And um, the the cane would help identify those things. Uh, I don't use a service animal either. I have a cane. I rarely use it. Actually, rare is not even the right word. I'd never use it. It's been in my closet for five years at least. Folded up. I I was given my. I had. This is so bad. Um. So 
the first time I ever used a cane, I think, was a couple years ago, and I wasn't really out about my vision in as far as the industry goes. But once in a while, I would receive auditions where they're looking for a legally blind person, and I knew that if I showed up without a cane, they wouldn't believe me. So I bought a drugstore cane <laughs> <laughs> that's like not the right height. Not, I mean, it was a small one, mm -hmm. so it worked because I'm short. But and I knew the basic idea how to use it. And I just knew how to like hold it correctly. So I would go into these auditions and just whip out the cane around the building. So it's like, hi, I'm the legally blind person you're auditioning. And then I'd walk out the building without the cane. <laughs> but I, I only, yeah, I only like really learned how to use a cane properly through the um, the blindness consultant on C because on that show everyone needed to learn how to operate not not learn how to be blind because as we say in the industry we don't you don't learn to be disabled because disability is not a skill set it's a lived experience but in the world of the show of C everyone in the world doesn't have sight so we had to even those of us with low vision we had to learn how to move around without using any of the usable sight we have so we ended up using a lot of staff staves and staffs staves um, sticks um, to move around, and and he gave me a, an actual uh, red and white cane that the one with has the rolly ball at the tip. Mm -hmm. yeah. So so I got to experience how to do the um, feel feel the tactile um, tracking of the ball and how that actually can help you find your next steps. What is the most common misconception you get from people when when you when they think you're or that you tell them you're blind or they know the blind girls coming to read or whatever they're doing and and what's the most common misconception you get? Well, honestly, um, <laughs> there is the old joke of "You're blind," and it's like, "No, I'm not deaf." I'm, I, <laughs> so <laughs> honestly, there are people who still do like they start talking louder or slower, and I'm like, uh. But um, in all seriousness, a lot of people, I, I think people are very cautious around disability. And I think in the world we're in, like people are overly cautious. So they will make a whole bunch of assumptions of what they need to do for me or what uh, what I can't do. I've uh, for when auditioning for theater, like you go into the room and usually there's there's people behind the table and I've I've been like oh do you need me to describe the room to you and i'm like no just tell me who's you know just introduce the people and be like so and so's on the right so and so's on the left but it, um yeah this this idea of like overdoing will sometimes happen but that is only in in the situations where i guess there is a introduction of oh i'm coming in uh, because you're looking for a, a low vision person, but a lot of times what happens, and, and this happened very recently, I was I was in a class uh, where <laughs> uh, someone, oh I don't know if I can say this on the air, we'll put it out maybe. Oh but sure you can, just go for it. Uh, it was a really uncomfortable situation, but um, a casting director who will go unnamed, they uh, I was in a class with them, and I was pretty sure that I had told them. And, and met them before and that they knew that I was disabled and that I was low vision. By the way, I often use the term low vision and visually impaired because of the misconception 
or the assumptions that people make when I say legally blind. Because I think I do have a bit of an imposter syndrome when it comes to that, in that I don't want to mislead anyone, but at the same time, I don't want people... Yeah, I understand to... what you're saying, because it's difficult. We talked about that already, so... It's the idea of, if I say I'm legally blind, they're gonna they're going to treat me like someone who can't take care of themselves, or someone who isn't able to navigate around by themselves yeah. is something I can do on foot on foot. I can do that. So I find that using the term low vision and visually impaired when it, in navigating the entertainment industry puts me, it tells them that yes, I'm, I have a visual disability and I have certain needs, but I live in this middle ground of, I have some sight. Mm-hmm low vision or it's impaired vision opposed to blind i think people hear the word blind and they don't know like you and i that it is a spectrum i think the same thing when people hear the word autism they assume that uh you're nonverbal or you have uh problems communicating but i know for a fact i and i have many friends and actually consider myself on the neurodivergent spectrum that where it it means a, a a wide variety of things. I almost said verarity, and that's that is how my dad says that word, verarity, <laughs> <laughs> and breakfix. So breakfix, breakfix. He has yeah, he has a couple of um, special words. <laughs> is that what you do and eat in the morning? Yeah, breakfix, and you go and I. I'm, he used to go see me perform in high school in the variety show. <laughs> okay. Um, going that's back a to northeastern my- thing, I guess. No, that's just um. It's just a dad thing. Gary Clouser thing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, um, my my story I was going to tell you was so I was in a class with a casting director who I was pretty sure knew I had a visual impairment, and in these in these like workshops that actors pay for, which is bullshit, um, they they will sign you scenes from shows that they've cast or things you know to just see like what you can do, and this casting director assigned a scene to an able-bodied actor where they were going to play a blind person and i just if this was like an in-person class i would have just like walked and left the room but i it was on zoom and i had to speak my truth and i you know i mentioned i said you know as someone who is visually impaired Oh, I remember what happened. So the the actress actually spoke up and she's like, oh, I noticed you, you assigned me to you play a blind person. How do I do that without, you know, you know, dishonoring the disability? And I, and I said, hi, can I jump in as someone who is actually legally blind? You know, you should know that this is not a skill set, but, you know, you should just play your truth or whatever. And I added in that, oh, you know, we're not asking um, white people to play to play characters of people of color. So we we really shouldn't be doing this as well. And a casting director, I think I, she was very, very apologetic afterwards. But in the moment, she was like, well, I, I don't think I even knew that you had a visual disability. I, I didn't know that at all. And I'm like, it is at the top of my resume. And I, I think I've mentioned it, but I understand. <laughs> but still, but yeah, I will get a lot of that and a lot of be a, lot, a lot of like, oh, I wouldn't know at all. Or, or I've even gotten not so much in the acting industry, but like when I'm doing like 
my survival jobs. Like I worked at a warehouse where I <laughs> definitely put myself in peril sometimes. And I had some people be like, oh, and you're doing so good for 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 yourself. And I'm like, I'm going to murder you. <laughs> so- <laughs> Your survival jobs. I mean, that means to sur- like money to survive or like yes. physically survive. Oh, yeah. That sounds a lot more exciting. <laughs> No, it's a term that we use uh, in the industry. So, okay. like, yeah, I gotcha. You know, as as we know, we're in a difficult time. Uh, both Broadway and film and TV had a big, big shutdown in the um, in the last year. So, uh, a lot of us actors usually what we do is we do like waiting tables. Although, as a visually impaired person, I cannot wait tables. I tried once. And uh, it was a disaster because <laughs> it's like you can't have your your face like up in people's menu. Yeah, that's that's way too close. Yeah. But I did work as a barista at a couple of places. But um, I, I think what was really hard is that all the all these survival jobs I used to do were like, you know, people jobs like where I can entertain and talk to people because that's I feel like the one viable skill I have <laughs> is, <laughs> is to entertain. But I, during the pandemic, it was hard because all those customer interactions are gone. So I had to work in um, a fulfillment center. And uh, that was, you know, that was an interesting challenge. I'll bet. Which was really funny because then people would find out like, you're on TV. What are you doing here? And I'm like, have you seen the global pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that is when we find ourselves in what we call survival jobs or like, oh. Or what they say, your day job. Don't quit your day job. <laughs> yeah, I can certainly relate to that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, you mentioned, I think, correct correction for your vision. Do you wear uh, you wear contacts? You said. Yeah. Do you wear anything besides contacts, like frames or anything else, or just contacts? So the lenses that I wear are very special. I've been wearing them since I was eleven years old. They are like the most expensive contacts I know. They're not a. Uh, they're mostly not disposable and they they have a, only a little bit of prescription in them to be honest but the special part of them is the magenta tint before i was a contact wearer i used to wear what i like to call the stevie wonder glasses uh where and i was a cute little baby in my stevie wonder glasses uh but uh they were like these I'm showing you like like you can like we're on camera right now but the like the the big kind of yeah dark frames big frames but they were tinted like a very specific color they're not like normal sunglasses they're like this orange tint and okay. that's the contacts are now but they're the contacts aren't as dark so I can wear them inside as well as outside but usually Sometimes, sometimes I go out at night without my contacts. Although, if you ask my sibling, who also has a chromatopsia, our vision is almost identical. I think mine's a little bit better than theirs. But, uh, but, and I think maybe them being six years older, they've become more dependent on their contacts. But they think I'm crazy when I like go out without my contacts. Like how? They're like, how do you see anything at all? I'm like, I don't know. I just whatever. You take the seeing eye boyfriend with you for those exactly. missions. Seeing eye boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> As long as it's yeah, we I can't do like uh I wouldn't be able to do like a late night grocery store run if I did the contacts because it's the fluorescent light. That's that's the real killer. Those are the real like headache light induce light inducing rooms. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that is the only like visual aid. Although 
I've I've used the magnifier, you know, the the, the hand magnifiers, and I'm hoping to get one of those nifty handhold CCTVs. Those are pretty cool. Yeah, but nipple. a lot of times, what I do, and I always get like weird attention when I do this. If I'm say if I need to look at a menu a distant that's on the wall, and I'm not with someone who could read it for me, I'll often like take a picture of it with my iPhone, and. Uh, it, it's been really funny when I'm like on set or in a place where I'm, I'm not advertising my my visual impairment, and they'll be like, "Oh, I'll take a picture, it'll last longer." I'm like, just trying to read here. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> tough to describe those things. So, you're talking about technology now. I just wanted to, I just wanted to blow this by you. So uh -huh. you're a you're an Apple person and have been for most of the time, apparently. I would say like. for my adult life. Yeah. Uh, the Commission of the Blind here in New York, they they, they help you out with college. And I uh, I got hooked up with a Mac instead, and I, I never looked back. Yeah, well, Mac, uh, Apple's really very in tune to a lot of different abilities. And um, I've, 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 I grew up on, a, on Apple devices and then in the middle of life went to PCs and Zoom text and Windows and things and... At the time, I think those served a pretty good purpose, but I'm 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 making the way back to um, back to a Mac. I just got a, a Mac a few months ago. I've had an iPhone for about eleven years, and I mean the iPhone changed changed the world for me, and I think it has for most people with oh, yeah. for sure visual impairments because it it really it, it's it's phenomenal what it what it does and how it levels the playing field. Yeah, it's just, as I said, it's basically a magnifier and a CCTV in itself yeah. when you. And you can use the camera, the magnifying thing to see things outside of your phone. But yeah, the thing that I got to say about Zoom text, there's no, and, and, and Windows as well, there's no nuance. I feel it's it's either small or super duper big and it never tracks your cursor. And it just, it makes me nauseous. <laughs> yeah. so, yeah. I, I can't. And people are like, oh, we'll install the Zoom text. I'm like, no. No, I I rather just figure out the accessibility settings myself because like, there's just no nuance in Zoom text. <laughs> in fairness to Zoom text and Windows, they have improved over the years, but I certainly see as I as I refamiliarize myself with the Mac and the accessibility features built in that are a lot like the the iPhone. Yeah, I I definitely think the Apple has the hand the the upper hand on how things are working there, but. Although Windows 10, I, I recently had to do a job where I worked on Windows 10, and that was a little... The the magnification had a little bit more nuance, and it had better cursor following. I think that is the most important thing, is that if I... Like, right now, I'm zoomed in on my screen, and I need it to follow my cursor. Like, I think the most annoying thing is when I'm looking at a screen, and I'm like, I can't find the mouse. Where's the mouse? Yep. It, it, that is the most frustrating thing. But we're really not here to talk about uh, technology, Brie, are we? We're, no. We're here to talk about the artist. That is uh, Brie Clouser. So you're a, you're an actor. I, I'm going to miss some things here in your bio, but it's actor, voice actor, uh, comedian I saw was thrown in there, and I can pick up a little bit of that so far for sure. And then uh, singer, songwriter. So let's talk about those things. Indeed. When did you know you wanted to be a performer? Uh, I saw my, well, I, I was singing pretty much from like, <laughs> from the womb, from inception. And, and 
my 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 parents my my parents and my aunt and uncle they they love music i grew up in a musical household not not so much that they were musically inclined they just uh just always had music playing and i just was one of those people who just mimicked everything i heard on the radio and i would just not stop singing as a kid and then when i was six years old i saw my first broadway show i i grew up right out right outside of the city if anyone asks i'm from new york but really i'm from the suburbs of new york unfortunately um and i saw les miserables which is a very a very heavy sh- if you're i'm not sure if you're familiar with it but les mis is a very heavy show there's lots of uh dying and tuberculosis and prostitutes yes i've seen that yeah yes great show, my favorite musical uh to this day uh but i just saw the the little girl on stage when I was six and I was like, Oh, I want to do that. So I, I kind of got the bug very early on. And for, you know, most of my young life, I always thought I wanted to be on Broadway. So I was always singing and I uh, even took dance lessons, even though I, um, I would never call myself a dancer. I would call myself a mover, but I, I can pick up choreography, but as any uh, low vision performer, uh, knows there are some challenges when it comes to dance <laughs> when yeah. when you have poor depth perception but you know i took acting classes and um i ended up going to school for acting i got my bfa in acting from cuny brooklyn college here in new york i moved here when i was 18 and during so during a uh, university or college uh my was in a conservatory program and when you're in a conservatory program uh you're not allowed to audition and for me that was like i i'm a very anti-authoritarian person like if you tell me there's a rule i'm gonna find a way to like break it or move around it so because i wasn't allowed to audition for for theater i was like well hell i'm gonna find another way to perform and around that same time i started writing music uh Throughout high school, I was getting into jazz and, you know, really enjoying, like, the old jazz singers like Peggy Lee, Dinah Washington, Ella Fitzgerald. And then so I started writing, I would say, like, jazz-inspired pop songs. And that, over time, kind of twisted and morphed into uh, my own little pet project that eventually was called Brie and the Whatevers, which... uh, you know, it, it, the early inceptions of it were stylistically all, all over the place. Some of it is like uh, pop, a pop punk song about Sailor Moon and a, you know, a chamber pop song about the the legend of Tristan and Isolde. And then I kind of fell into this groove of like more of a retro soul, uh, bluesy bluesy r&b kind of inspired thing and that is when brain whatever's kind of like really hit its stride so i was doing this throughout a university and continued to do that more because i i really i really enjoyed being a front woman and writing my own song because it felt like i had control over the narrative and almost like i was creating my my own show and my own vehicle which you know as an actor you know now well now everyone makes their own work uh, were inspired to do that but at that time that was my version of you know writing my own web series was uh, I was doing that through music and I was very fortunate to collaborate with some very talented musicians and during that time I actually met my my partner Dan um, 
who was my roommate who moved across the hall and uh he was one of the main collaborators for the most part of brain to whatever's and helped me make the homewrecker ep and during that time i was still acting uh, i was you know doing theater in new york um some smaller projects out of town but it wasn't until around 2018 where i i kind of you know it the music the music business is it's very 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 hard to make a living out of it if you don't have any if basically you you either need to like have investment early on or need to be independently wealthy to fund it uh so i it got to a point where i decided to kind of switch gears and focus on acting more so and it couldn't come at a better time because around 2018 i was taking on camera classes and there was this audition looking for blind and low vision actors for this series that apple was going to put on where everyone in the future was going to be blind so i did what they call a self-tape and screen tested for one of the roles and then they called me back after a couple months and they had me read for this role for a character called matal who was going to be um a guest star recurring not like the main cast but like a repeating character and i booked it (laughs) nice and that was you know a huge life-changing thing because i was you know mostly a a theater actor here in new york you know not really so much hitting broadway but doing a lot of the doing a lot of fun downtown theater doing a lot of uh new works i've been a member of a company I was actually just with a meeting with before called Theater Breaking to Barriers and where we're still creating theater even on Zoom. But um, it was it was a life changing uh, thing. I was out in Vancouver shooting with Jason Momoa and Alfred Woodard and directed by Francis Lawrence. Uh, I was out there for months and that carried over into 2019. And then around that summer, I uh, uh, right before the summer, a friend of mine had actually told me that um, I think she heard from the American Federation of the Blind that Audible was looking to do a series about the phone freaks. And the main character was going to be a uh, teenager who happens to be blind. And I had already done a little bit of voice acting. I had taken some voice acting classes and i i'm one of those people who have always been told oh you should do you should do animation because you got a weird voice and i'm like well yeah i've always i i have an improv comedy background too um was doing that since i was 17 um my many different lives so it, it their improv and voiceover kind of lends to itself very well so i uh recorded that audition here in this very spot i'm sitting in and that's how I got involved with Freaks. And little did I know, uh, you know, what the series would be and who would be involved. I, I All I knew was I was going to be the main character. I would do a lot of the internal narration and do scenes. And I, I loved the script right away. I thought it was really smart, really clever. Uh, Matt Derby is, I think, a really, really, really clever writer. And he balances it, balances comedy and drama very well um and i i like that he i like that he pushes the envelope as far as really showing the different social issues of that time as you know we see we see the struggles that emma has in the story my character 
and but we also see like a little bit of the social climate with uh you know with her dad with christian uh, her dad who's played by christian slater and the struggles that her mom is having and um all fbi and phone freaks and bell it really gives you a full picture of of the time period and you know one would might even call it like a a, a period dramedy <laughs> i don't think that's what how it's marketed but that's how i would call it because it's kind of a dramedy and yeah little did i know that like we'd have such a kick-ass cast on it uh it wasn't until like I was already recording that they're like, oh, yeah, your dad's going to be Christian Slater and uh, Justice Smith from from Detective Pikachu is going to be your love interest. And I'm like, oh, hey, now. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's where I found you was was with Freaks. And uh, as an audible member, I it, it popped up and I, I ran into it and I thought this is looks this looks interesting. And I think you just described it very well. There's a lot of things going on in, in the film or in the not the film, the the. Really, it's like a film, though. It is. Um, I I know some people who are audiobook purists. Like, if you if you're expecting it to be an audiobook, it's not. It is. No, it's it's more of an experience. It's like it it really is more like a cinematic experience for your ears because I I I really love the sound scoring and the music. Um, I and I remember like when I'm recording, I don't hear any of that. We're we're starting with just the the pages and the words, and we're being directed. And we had an amazing director in Shana Feinberg. Uh, she really kind of gave me a crash course and how it is to do this this type of long form voiceover, which I had never done before. This uh, my very first day in the booth in at Audible Studios in Newark was five hours of doing all the internal narration, and that stuff wasn't rehearsed. It was just like, there it is on the page, go. <laughs> Which is so much different than when you do theater or film, you like you memorize your lines. But in voiceover, it's very rare that you memorize your lines. And that is a, a skill, especially as a low vision actor, that I've had to get used to. And I've had to become more comfortable um, and more vulnerable reading things for the very first time in front of people. Mm-hmm. That causes people to see my low vision more often. But in a situation like with freaks, you know, you know, I, I, they go in knowing what I'm capable of and knowing that I have this disability. So I feel like I'm not going to be judged. Uh, I, they, they put the script where, how close they need it to be to my mouth as well as where the mic needs to be. We, that we set that up in five minutes and then we just go. Uh, people think it's so hard to to hire people with disabilities because they think it's going to be expensive or the accommodations are going to be difficult. Most times, the accommodations take about five to ten minutes to set up. You called it cinematic radio or cinematic audio. I think is kind of what you described it. And experience for your ears. Yeah, and I kind of when I was listening to it, um, I I picked it up when it was complete. So I think there's like ten sections to it, mm-hmm. and so I I just listened to the whole thing in two sittings. Wow. Uh, over like one night is when I started and then the next day I finished it. Yeah, that's like five and a half hours. What it reminded me of was like an old time. It reminded me of like people that would sit around the radio in like the 40s or 50s or something and listen to to radio where it was kind of cinematic. Yes. And it's it's so funny because um, 
yes, Audible kind of spearheaded uh, these. Audible original series are kind of like a throwback to the old-time radio plays. But uh, I've seen a number of these, what, what other people are calling them, scripted podcasts, which I don't think is a word that does justice, but a lot of people are calling them scripted podcasts or mm-hmm. audio dramas yeah. a lot of other uh, I'll, I'll say copycat companies but a lot of or a lot of independent companies are now doing this uh and i i during 2020 i would see so many companies and so many projects doing this and it's funny because it's like it is kind of a depression era art form the the radio play and to think that here we are in you know uh, a, a world pandemic and a an economic depression here we are doing radio plays again just like they're in fdr's time yeah i i think it's so cool especially for people in in our community in the spectrum with vision uh impairment that that it really is a cinematic thing for the ears you say it much more uh much better than I do with your whatever flair you use there, but it, it really is cool. And I, I really enjoyed the character of Emma. She, she's, she's something. Why do you think the, the FBI guy thought Emma was such a threat? Honestly, the thing about Emma, she doesn't give a shit. <laughs> she, yeah, I, I get that. She's I, like really, I, I, I love Emma. Um, what, like as an actor, you think about, when you when you take on a character, you think about what what is similar and what is different to you. And obviously, what is different from me and Emma, besides you know being growing up in different circumstances, is uh you know she doesn't she doesn't find her voice right away, and she doesn't she doesn't openly express herself to people right away. She's very she plays everything very close to the chest until she finds her people with the freaks. But the thing that is always present in Emma's she she has very strong opinions about the world and has a very uh has a very rigid view of how she thinks things should go when uh I don't want to spoil anything but when uh certain corrupt systems are revealed she is not one to idly stand by in the story she she doesn't care that she's just one person or you know just a teenager or just a blind girl she she is going to use whatever resources she has in her power to make it right and i think for her uh once she has found the phone freaks and and found this this tool that basically unlocked the entire world for her she's not gonna let anyone take that away from her and i think that is why she she didn't take Connolly and all of them seriously um and I also think it, it comes with the whole like irreverence of youth. Like think about when you're a teenager, you don't really realize the magnitude your actions have on the world. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking about the scene where he comes to her and he says, oh, you know, this is stealing. And I, I, I think that Emma, you know, she doesn't want to steal, but she doesn't, she honestly doesn't feel, and I would agree with her too. She doesn't feel like what she's doing is hurting anyone. And I feel like she, she falls into that, um, that moral alignment of, I'm not going to do anything to hurt anyone, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do what I want. And I think that is very, uh, emblematic of her time period and of young people in that, because this is, you know, um, 
right it, right in the middle of the Vietnam period. This is the first time uh, teenagers are, are starting to have a voice and starting to really question authority. So I feel um, she she is kind of a what makes her great main characters that I think she is relatable to not just people of the low vision community, but um, people of young people of that time period. Because she's kind of a, a great stand-in for the general mindset of a teen in the the late sixties, early seventies. Yeah, that was a wild time for teenagers. And um, for me, like as someone who <laughs> didn't experience the seventies, but uh, we talk about like fashion and trends and media and everything goes in the cycle. So you know, in the I was a teenager in the two thousands, and it was a big eighties revival. And for the people who grew up in the 90s, it was kind of like a 70s revival, a lot of the fashion and everything. So when trying to create Emma, looking at the text and looking at, you know, how quick she was and how wry she was, to me, my shorthand, and I even taught the director this because she didn't really know who this was and I was surprised. I was like, she's like Daria, the MTV series. So she was like this. She wore these glasses and she was just very monotoned and just she told it like it was. And she and and she was kind of a loner and and kind of a misanthrope. And I I kind of, you know, I thought of Emma as 1970s Daria. So she didn't have the like vocal fry or postmodern, uh, you know, nihilism. She had that hopefulness still, but everything else was still very, like, sarcastic and wry and very, like, I I see it as I call it. Yeah, I think that's a great description of Emma. And we've, we've kind of started talking about this as though everybody knows what we're talking about. I know lots of people have, have listened to the, the yeah. audio book, but kind of just give me a little bit of an overview of, of Freaks. And, well, actually, let me just say this first. Uh, a few episodes ago, I have a good friend. Uh, named Rob Sherrard, who's been on a podcast a couple of times. And he is he he grew up as a technology nerd, kind of like me. And he was really into the Atari 2600. And on a episode we did a few months ago, he talked about the 2600 frequency and Atari. Then, like a couple weeks later, I run into... And, and we even talked about the, the 2600 frequency and the blue box and, and in Steve Jobs's autobiography. There's a few things I mentioned about that. And then it all kind of came full circle to me as Emma's sitting in her music class and the teacher's talking about the the frequencies of sound and things. And it kind of all like aligns in her mind. So this whole freaks thing just went full circle for me, which is why I was, I think I was totally into it. Yeah. And it, it's such an, it, it really is a captivating story. So just kind of summarize freaks for somebody that hasn't, that doesn't know what it is. Sure. I will. I do not have a synopsis, and it's been a while, so I will I will try my best. But um, it takes place. It is is a piece of historical fiction, and it takes place in the year 1970, uh, where we are living in a world where uh, telephones, you know, telephones were our main source of communication. They were the newest, cutting edge thing. And uh, this 15 year old, 15, 17, I don't remember. She's a teenager. She lives in like upstate New York. Uh, she lives. A, she has a troubled home life uh, with her parent. Her parents are, are you know, have a torrent relationship, and the mother has health problems, and she lives a rather isolated life. And Emma has always 
found solace in the telephone and she would always dial random numbers and you know have this little sneak peek into a, other worlds through the telephone as a way to escape her troubled life and one day she wanders into what is a kind of a secret phone line and meets these people called the phone freaks and they tell her a secret uh, on how to find them they tell her about uh, 2600 and she has to figure out this puzzle and it sends her on this journey of understanding the world of the phone freaks and uh, under you know that's what you were talking about the understanding the what the 2600 hurts so what basically that has to do with is um, back then uh, we were still using like switchboard uh, operators. I, I'm not very good with the technology. Um, That's okay. Yeah. I... But the telephone system, you still you still would have to call uh, an operator and they would use uh, frequencies. You would hear whistles. It's not the same as what we would hear today. And so this one uh, frequency, the 2600, is what would, would be used to switch the switchboard. And what is really fascinating about the actual history of the phone freaks is many of them were blind or on the blind spectrum and knew how to hack into these systems by just whistling these frequencies while other people would buy these devices called blue boxes and that's all discussed in the series too and you learn about that um and these these phone freaks they were really like the the original like computer hackers they they knew how to do a lot of things with messing around with frequencies and you know getting credit card numbers and you know they 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 had a fun time but they in the story they end up getting into um some bigger trouble and you know um emma faces dilemmas of now what what she should do and you know how this affects her family and how it's life um i feel like now i'm i'm going getting into spoiler territory that's okay i, th- I think we kind of get yeah it really is kind of a slice of historical fiction life and really teaches you a lot about uh this time period and even if you're not really into the technological elements i it's a really great character study and it's really about uh finding a community and finding your finding your tribe and uh all that good stuff which i think is a really strong message for right now uh, where a lot of us are still very isolated uh quarantining life hasn't really come back to normal we're we're kind of peeking through the world of either zoom or social media as a way to reach our community and that is kind of the position that we find our main character Emma in in this story. Yeah, it's a cool story. I definitely recommend it. Uh, it's Freaks. It's it's with a with an H P H E A K S. And as as of the time of this recording, it's still available on Audible. Yes, and it's actually if you have an Audible account, it is free. Yeah, it's included. So I'm a big fan of Audible and have been for a long time. And it was nice to find that it it's included. You can just listen. And all, uh, along with myself, uh, the cast features Christian Slater, Carrie Coon. Ben McKenzie and Justice Smith and is directed by Sheena Feinberg and written by Matt Derby. What other things are you working on right now? So really super exciting. I participated in the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge just about a month ago. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Easter Seals Challenge uh, is a film challenge in which uh, participants have about 
five days to uh, write, shoot, and edit a five-minute short film. Usually there is a theme or a prompt or a genre provided, and that's all you can start with before the challenge begins. And this year's theme was mockumentary, and it was the home edition, so all of us were shooting in our homes or working remotely. But what was really amazing is we got to work with teams across the country, and or in, in some cases the world. One of the teams I was on had a, um actor and writer from India, so this was the first year I participated, and I, in one film, I was an actor and writer, and that was a, a team of all blind and visually impaired artists put together by Access Acting Academy, and uh, we made a film called Service, a documentary, which you can, uh, from the title, you can guess what it's about. It was a mockumentary about how service animals are affected in quarantine and I got to show my sketch comedy and improv chops and I uh, I played a crazy cat lady and my, my cat got to be in that film and then the other film I did was also a mockumentary um, sketch comedy style written and produced by Anna Pacman called Social Fitness and this film actually ended up winning a best awareness campaign in the film challenge which was super exciting because this was my very first year in the film challenge and I got to be part of this award-winning film and social fitness will now be in several film festivals screening across uh, the country internationally uh, film festivals that uh, qualify it for um, what they call academy award qualifying film festivals so that was really exciting that I just found out about that last week yeah that's awesome so it sounds like things are Things are moving, and you're moving and shaking, so that's awesome, Bree. And uh, right now, I'm working with Theater Breaking Through Barriers, where I'm doing one of their virtual playmakers intensives, where we, uh, it's uh, very much like the film festival, in that in a short amount of time, someone writes a play, and we rehearse it a few times, and then we present it as a a play crafted for Zoom Theater, which, oh, Zoom Theater is a wonderful and interesting thing but what i i've had a lot of great experiences especially with theater breaking through barriers uh doing this this type of performance uh i think it's very unique and uh maybe maybe more so accessible to the to the blind and low vision community because uh with it everything on zoom everything is closer up and uh it's easier to integrate things like audio description and in the last performance i did with this company back in oh geez february march we actually had audio description written into the dialogue um uh, opposed to what you might see when you uh, listen to audio description when watching a tv show or movie where it might sometimes you know obscure the soundtrack and dialogue this was the play was written with audio description in mind. So it's very exciting to be part of innovative platforms that are trying to increase the the equity in accessibility and, and kind of level the playing field, very much like what, what Audible did with this series, with, with Freaks and their original series. Is. Okay, Bree, so you are at BreeKlauser.com, but I'm sure you're social. Are there some places we can find you in social media world? Yes, I'm most active on social media on Instagram. You can find me at Bree, B-R-E-E, underscore Clouser, K-L-A-U-S-E-R, underscore official. 
the regular way that word is spelt. And I am also, there's also a Facebook fan page, um, there's a YouTube channel where you can find some of my music from Brianda Webbers and some original music uh, from other projects as well. Well, speaking of Brie and the whatevers, I feel like we need to go out with some some music from Brie and the whatevers. So I don't know. You tell me, Brie. What should we play? Well, you told me before that you like things that kind of rock a little bit. So Brie and the whatevers is kind of a retro soul project. Um, uh, the single home record, you can guys can go check out the, the music video, um, and, and that will probably be linked somewhere. But uh, I think a song that would be really appropriate and a good send-off and dovetails from the conversation we were having about um, our ambiguous blindness is a song I wrote called Always Remind You. And I wrote it during a time where I was not out about my disability. And it was about my experience as a disabled person in the entertainment industry. But I find that this song is relatable to anyone who's ever been told no, you can't do that or no you're not what we want or no you don't fit the mold and it's a it's a pretty it's, it's a groovy song but it, it's kind of like a it definitely would it definitely rocks and headbangs a little bit harder than the more uh soulful tracks on the album and it's one song that's not about love so it's <laughs> it's a little different and uh i i rarely i rarely get to lead with this and i i think it's quite appropriate for the moment. So this is Always Remind You by Brian the Whatevers. Hey, hey. 
spending time with the ambiguously blind podcast please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and for a complete transcript of this episode connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.